What's up, City Light? Man, okay. You guys are kind of here. My name's Doug, like Tyler said. I get to follow Jesus with all you guys, and it's a joy. Man, I love what Jesus is doing. As you guys especially know, last Sunday, we went to three gatherings on Sunday mornings. We knew that God was calling us into that, but we weren't exactly for sure like how it would go. Well, it went great. All week long, people were saying, hey, how was the 8 o'clock? And I'm telling them, the 8 o'clock is the most energetic, amening, <laughs> hallelujah crowd that we had last Sunday. So thank you guys for showing up, being here, and bringing the party with you. It re- Amen. Come on. It really is a pleasure. It's a privilege to follow Jesus with you guys. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 2, or pull out that app and go to Acts chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning. As a church, we're tracking through the book of Acts together. Acts is a history of the first 30 years of Jesus' followers, especially what God was doing in and through them. Acts is really the story of the Acts of God. And in chapter 2, towards the back end, is this incredible paragraph that gives all these different descriptions of what God was doing in and through his people. In fact, it is so incredible, it's so wonderful that we've slowed down a little bit, and we're taking two weeks just to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, to dig in and study a little bit and ask God, would you do the same Acts in our presence? In these verses that we're going to look at, we see who we want to be, who we want to be right now, who we want to be in 10 years, who we want to be in 100 years when we're all gone and our great-grandchildren are telling their friends about Jesus. Acts 2, 42 through 47, paints a picture of what we value, what we hold most dearly, what we hope for with all of our hearts. And if you want to set an audacious goal for yourself for the next few months, you could set the goal of actually memorizing these six verses. They are amazing. They're loaded. It's six verses, 113 words of pure goodness. Now, for many of us, six verses and 113 words might be too much, so we have boiled it down to just four words, four core values, and these are the four core values of our church. It's our DNA, and we've even made them directional arrows to keep it as memorable as possible. So, if you know our core values, would you say them with me? Our core values are down, up. In and out. Man, the eight o'clock, you guys show up. This is incredible. Those are our core values. So down is the gospel. Up is our response to the gospel, how we respond to the God who came down to us in the person of Jesus. In is community, how we relate to one another, go deep with one another, serve one another, eat with one another. And then out is mission. It's how we relate to our friends and family, our neighbors and coworkers who don't yet know Jesus or follow Jesus. And if you remember last Sunday, Chuck preached from this passage. He did a great job highlighting in and out. And this Sunday, I get to highlight down and up. So we'll start this way. Have you ever gotten one of these in your mailbox or seen one of these on your Facebook feed? 
I love these. I posted these uh, myself multiple times. And in our church, it seems like there's about 18 of these every single week. They're pregnancy announcements, right? This one here is actually from my brother when his wife was pregnant with their twins. Uh, This one is a little more generic. Oh, it's so cute, right? Like the the parents are just thrilled to be sharing their news of a new baby showing up. Um, And you can usually tell, based on like the cuteness and the calmness of these pregnancy announcements, you can tell if it's a first-time parent or like a second or third or fourth or in my case, fifth-time parent, right? Like these people, they've probably had a child or two, right? They're like, okay, (laughs) Like, they've done this a couple of times. They know what this news means. This news fills you with joy, but this news also changes your life. Announcing that you are pregnant is news that changes you. And what we're going to see this morning is the gospel is very similar. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's an announcement, a declaration. It is news, and it is news that changes you. So let's look at it together. Acts 2, verse 42. We're just going to look at the first sentence right now. It says this, and they devoted themselves to what, church? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I don't know how you read your Bible, but when I read my Bible and I come across something that I don't really understand, I ask questions. And so I'm reading Acts 2.42. It says apostles' teaching, and my first thought was, what was the apostles' teaching? What is the apostles' teaching? What is this talking about? And so I'm asking questions, and to find the answers to those questions, I did two things. First, I went to a website I really like, blueletterbible.org, okay? It is my second favorite uh, website on the interwebs, right behind puppiesforsale.com. And uh, blueletterbible.org has all these cool Bible study tools, commentaries that I can read, and they make me feel way more smart about the Bible than I actually am. The second thing I did is I went to all my smart Bible friends, whether that's someone in my city group or someone on our staff team, and I said, hey guys, what is the apostles' teaching? Like, what is this talking about? And what I discovered is that the apostles' teaching is actually pretty simple. The apostles' teaching was and is the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection. The apostles taught the gospel, whether that's in their sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts, or the letters that they wrote to the churches that they helped plant, or the conversations that they had with people, the apostles taught the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Like if you look earlier in Acts chapter 2 at that awesome sermon that Peter preached. Do you remember the Holy Spirit falls, everybody's speaking in tongues, things going crazy, and one of the apostles, Peter, he stands up and he starts teaching. What did he teach? He went to some Old Testament Bible verses. He explained those Old Testament Bible verses, and then he took it to Jesus. He connected it to Jesus. He said, hey, guys, you know all those Bible verses you memorized as a kid, all those stories that you grew up hearing? Here's the news. They're all about Jesus. 
And then the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, God uses Peter and John to heal a lame man, a very well-known, famous lame man. And when they healed him, everybody around them is like, hey, let's build a shrine to Peter and John. And Peter stands up and he says, no, don't do that. This sign, this wonder, it's meant to point us to Jesus, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God that we all know who created the universe. He has shined the spotlight on his son, Jesus Christ. The news is it's all about Jesus. A few chapters later in Acts chapter 8, Philip, who is a lesser known apostle, meets up with an Ethiopian. The Ethiopian's reading his Bible but doesn't really understand what he's reading. So Philip opens his Bible, says, well, here, let me explain it to you. Starts with that Old Testament passages, takes it to Jesus, shares the gospel with the Ethiopian who then gets saved. They, they go right by a lake and the Ethiopian gets baptized because why not? And then Philip literally gets teletransported out of there to somewhere else. It's like a Star Trek scene right there in your Bible. Beam me up, Scotty, nerds forever. It really happened. But the point is, Philip taught the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Maybe one of the most famous apostles, the apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way, and he literally runs into Jesus. Jesus blinds him and says, hey, bro, you got to change your ways. So then Jesus sends another man to pray for Paul and heal him of his blindness. What happens immediately after that? Acts chapter 9, verse 20 says, And immediately he, the apostle Paul, proclaimed who? Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Paul taught the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Now, I think I could keep going, but we're getting the idea, right? The apostles' teaching was and is the gospel. That is our church's down core value. That's what we mean when we say down. God came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God loves and saves sinners like me, messed up as, um, as I am, and he does it through Jesus who lived the perfect life. I could never live. I could never measure up to that. And Jesus who died the death that really at the end of the day I'm the one who deserves that. And Jesus, who rose from the dead victorious so that he can raise me from the dead. That is the gospel. The gospel that the apostles taught. It's the gospel that we believe. And it's the gospel that we value. We love it. We like it. We cherish it. It's the gospel. But I think, like if we're honest, sometimes... The word gospel, we hear it so much, right? There's like gospel music, there's gospel preaching, there's gospel singing. We hear it so much that the word gospel loses its punch. It loses its flavor, right? So I just, this morning, I want to highlight three things about the gospel that can maybe help keep it fresh for us, okay? And the first thing is this, it's in your notes. The first thing is simply, the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is good news, not good advice. So if you go back to Acts chapter 2, to Peter's first and famous sermon, right? Whenever he tells everybody that the Bible is all about Jesus, it's all pointing to Jesus. In that sermon, what Peter does, he just declares the news. He just announces this reality. All he does is preach the news. He doesn't give any advice. In fact, his sermon closes in Acts 2 verse 36 with this statement. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, here's the news, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Boom, he dropped the news on them, right? Like here it is, he announces it, he declares it. Then Peter drops the mic and walks off stage like a boss because he just delivered the news. But the whole crowd is freaking out. They are cut to the heart by that news. They say, Peter, come back, tell us what's going on. So Peter comes back, he says, oh, here's how you respond. You repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And oh, about 3,000 of them chose to do that that day. Here's the point. The gospel is forever and always news. It is not religion. It is not morality. It's not trying to stop cussing. It's not trying to go to church more. It's not trying to be that better husband or that better roommate. It's not trying to get your act together. The gospel is the good news that God loves and he saves sinners like us and he does it through the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's something that has been done, something that has been accomplished, finished, and completed in your place for you. And when you hear that news, you just respond to it. The gospel is good news, not good advice. A second way that maybe we can keep the gospel fresh would be this. The gospel is true news, not fake news. Okay, now I know where you all just went in your heads, all right? (laughs) The gospel is true news, not fake news. Let me explain. The gospel is historically true. No one made it up and posted it on Facebook to gain more followers, okay? It is historically and accurately true. Uh, Here's what I actually mean by fake news. On um, Sunday, October 30, 1938, okay, Uh, Columbia Broadcasting Network, which we all now know as CBS, they ran a one-time radio program that was an adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds. And so CBS thought, you know what, to make this a little more interesting and entertaining, let's run it like it's a break into regular programming. So on that Sunday afternoon, all the families are gathered around their radios doing what families did in that time, listening to their favorite programs. Then something breaks into their regular programming, and after that, they hear this story about aliens invading Earth and all these explosions on Mars. It's a story about the war of the worlds. Now, by the end of the program, doctors and nurses and police officers and soldiers and sailors, they've all left their houses and they're reporting for duty to protect our nation. Police stations are getting thousands of phone calls and newspapers run all these urgent special editions. One newspaper reported a meteor that fell in New Jersey and killed 15,000 people. Another newspaper reported this unidentified flying object that landed and had Martians coming out of it with death ray guns. So what began as just a fun story turned into a bunch of fake news that led to nationwide hysteria, okay? Now, we still have fake news today. My favorite is The Onion or The Babylon Bee. They both make me laugh. Here's the point. The gospel is not fake news. It is true news. The gospel is historically and accurately true. We are 2,000 years removed from the original headlines about Jesus, But to these people in Acts chapter 2, it was imminent. It was incredibly 
close. It was incredibly real. It was incredibly true. Like they would have been there and seen some of the sequence of the crucifixion of Jesus or heard it from their best friend. They would have been among the hundreds who Jesus showed his resurrected body to. They would have lived in that time, those 50 days between the death of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. For us, 2,000 years removed, sometimes it can seem like a fable. It can seem like something made up or something we could easily forget or push to the side. But for them in that time, Acts chapter 2, it was massively true. It was so massively true that it was the air they breathed. It was the reality that they lived in. City Light, hear this. The gospel is not something your grandma made up to try to keep you in line. The gospel is not something where a bunch of brilliant minds got in a room and said, how can we make money? Let's write a book and start a religion. No, the gospel is historically and accurately true, written down by eyewitnesses, beheld by these actual people. You can build your life on it. You can bank on it, and it will change your life. The gospel is true news, not fake news. A third way I think we can maybe help keep the gospel fresh in our church is this. The gospel is front page news, not back page news. The gospel is front page news, not back page news. Now, you guys remember at the beginning, I mentioned how Acts 2, 42 through 47 is this incredible paragraph with this description of all these beautiful and powerful things that we really value. Well, in that paragraph of all the valuable beauty and the valuable power, what is mentioned first? What gets mentioned first? Verse 42, they devoted themselves, say it with me again, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the first thing mentioned. The gospel is the first thing mentioned. It gets top billing. It gets front and center, first and foremost. The apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Jesus Christ died for our sins. So what was of first importance to the Apostle Paul? The truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It was the gospel. It was first and foremost, front and center for the Apostle Paul, the good and true news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. City Light, may we always be a people who love to exalt Jesus to make him front and center and first and foremost, to lift him high and exalt him. That's why every single Sunday, you will hear sermons and sing songs that are about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what he did for us, the beauty of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, our identity in Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the true news. Jesus is the front page news around City Light. We love to celebrate, exalt, lift up, and magnify Jesus who shows us the gospel. That is our down value, the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's down. Now, let's look it up. And to look it up, I just want to look at a different word in that same sentence. Okay, so go back to Acts 2, 42, and it says, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
Let's just look at that word devoted. Again, when I read it, I had questions. I'm like, what does devoted mean? That's just not a word we use much, right? I hardly ever say devoted, and I hardly ever hear devoted. So what does devoted mean? I did the same two things. I went back to blueletterbible.org, and I went back to my smart Bible friends, and I said, what does devoted mean? Here's what I discovered. Devoted means to be adhered to one and only one. It means to be stuck to, like Gorilla Glue or Crazy Glue. You get stuck to one and only one. And devoted, that word captures what we mean when we say our core value is up. Maybe the best illustration would be marriage. But not just any marriage. Like, have you seen a married couple in, like, their 80s or 90s who are still in love, right? Like, they're in the checkout line at Walmart, and they're smooching, and you don't know, do I look at that or not look at that? Like, it's kind of cool, but, you know, like, they're still in love. Um, Or she's in a hospital bed, and he refuses to let go of her hands, right? Uh, We actually got to see this as a church not too long ago when Reuben, who has been married to his sweet wife, Carol, for 55 years. She was, they were right here. He put his hand on her shoulder and sang her this love song in a vow renewal ceremony. He sang her this love song in like a Johnny Cash voice. It was awesome. There wasn't a dry eye in this room. We were all crying. Now, why? Because we were beholding devotion, being stuck to, adhered to, committed to one and only one. That's devotion. And in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the gospel. When the early church heard the gospel, they didn't just like hear it and move on to the next thing. They didn't like see it and then scroll on to the next cool image that might pop up in their feed. They didn't just say, oh, that's neat, and then turn around and walk out. They were devoted to the gospel. And devotion changes you, doesn't it? Like when you're stuck to something, you're glued to something or someone, and you can't be separated, you actually begin to take on their form and their shape. You are formed and shaped into their form and shape. Honestly, it's why people who have been married for decades start to look like one another. You actually are formed into their likeness. Devotion changes you. And the same is true with the gospel. When we are devoted, stuck to Jesus, we are changed by the gospel. The gospel is news that changes you. And it changes every aspect of your life. For example, if the gospel tells me that Jesus forgives me of all my sins, and I'm stuck to Jesus, then I want to forgive others who have sinned against me, right? The gospel changes my relationships. And if the gospel says that Jesus was faithful to his bride, the church, even to the point of death, and I'm stuck to Jesus, then I want to be faithful to my wife. The gospel changes my marriage. And if the gospel says that Jesus gave it all away so that he could leave heaven, come to earth, and die for me, and I'm stuck to Jesus, then I want to give it all away. The gospel even changes my finances. If the gospel says that Jesus completed all that the Father gave him to do, that he finished the task set before him, and I'm stuck to Jesus, then in my work, I want to do all that I am called to do. I want to finish the task. The gospel changes how I work. 
In Acts chapter 2, there's a few ways that uh, highlighted where the gospel changed them. Acts 2 verse 43 says, and all came upon every soul. So in the early church, we're thinking, if Jesus went to such great lengths to leave heaven and come and die for me, then he must be awesome, not me. He is awesome, not me. I fear God, not humans, not man. So the gospel changed their awe. And later on in that same verse, verse 43, it says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They're thinking, man, if Jesus can do the miracle of taking my dead heart and making it alive, then Jesus can do any miracle. I no longer want to just expect to get by. I want to expect Jesus to do miracles. The gospel changed their expectations. Few verses down in verse 46, it says, day by day, they attended the temple together. And so they know, man, if Jesus lived in community with a bunch of knuckleheads who deserted him and left him in the worst time, and yet he remained faithful to that community, to that church, then I can be faithful to that community, to that church. I can attend church. I can be part of a city group. Even when it's messy, the gospel changes our view of the church. That's devotion. The gospel is news that changes you. And around City Light, that means that we celebrate lives that have been changed by Jesus. We are addicted to these stories where someone, they hear the good news about Jesus, they respond to that good news about Jesus, and their life gets changed. Whether it's like a baptism or some sort of outlandish generosity or a wife who is coming alive or a child who's making wise decisions, the thing that we get most excited about here in City Light is Jesus. But a close second is lives that are changed by Jesus, right? Down comes first, but up is a close second. We love to celebrate lives changed by Jesus. Now, City Light, to wrap up, can I just slow down a little bit and just shoot straight with it, okay? We'll just all be fellow human beings in this room who are struggling forward in our lives. Some of us love Jesus deeply. Others of us, we're just trying to figure out who Jesus is and what we believe about him. Either way, here's what I'd say. We have no interest in just going through routines and doing churchy stuff to be churchy, (laughs) right? We have no interest in trying to be bigger or better or slicker or smoother. Like whenever I really can like pull all of it back and just slow down enough and take deep breaths long enough to hear my heartbeat and listen for the voice of God, I'm reminded that my true and lasting interest is to know Jesus and make him known. Right? And and this news that God loves me, that he's crazy about me, even to the point of sending his son Jesus to die for me, that's the best news. It is so unbelievable that I can't help but believe it. Maybe I'd say it this way. I want to be devoted to Jesus. Jesus, because I know that he's devoted to me. I want to follow Jesus because I know that he pursued me all the way to the cross. I want the down to mess me up. And sometimes in life, the busyness, the chaos of work and school and church and job and all that stuff, in the midst of that, I can forget just how sweet Jesus is, that Jesus really is the good news, 
Jesus is the true news. Jesus is the front page, life-changing news. So my prayer for me and our prayer for all of us is that we would be devoted to Jesus because he's devoted to us. That we'd have this sweet, sincere, and simple devotion to Jesus. That he would be our core value. And when he is, I know we'll be changed by him. Amen, church? Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, we pray right now that you would be speaking to us. Let us hear your voice through this scripture passage. Let us hear what are you saying to us, to each of us? What are you saying to us as a church? And first, Father, I want to pray for a simple devotion to Jesus. Some of us this morning, we just need that sweet desire for Jesus reinvigorated. Just to want you and desire to be in awe of you, Jesus. When life is throwing so many things at us, would you help our hearts to be in awe of you, Jesus? When there's dozens of things, literally today, that will vie for our attention and strive for our affection, oh Jesus, would you win our devotion? We want to be adhered to you, stuck on you today. May our thoughts get stuck on you. May our emotions get stuck on you. May our plans get stuck on you. We want to be devoted to you, Jesus. And then, Father, we know this this passage in verse 47 ends with this incredible update that numbers were being added to them daily. People were meeting Jesus and getting saved on a daily basis. And so, Father, would you be pleased to do that here in our midst? Could we see men and women and children come to faith in Jesus on a daily basis? May the baptismal waters be overflowing. May there be too much moisture in this room because it's too many baptisms. May there be so many people say, I found him to be faithful to me. I found him devoted to me. And so I'm fully devoted to him. Oh, may the gospel grip us and change us and even save our friends, our family, our neighbors, and coworkers. Church, as you pray, can I just ask you, who are you praying for right now? Who are you praying that they would meet Jesus? Who are you praying that they would believe the gospel, the good news that God loves them and will save them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Remember that name and pray for him this week. Oh God, would you be pleased to save? Would you add to our numbers daily because of the gospel and our simple and sweet devotion to you? We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.